Welcome to Gone Fishing, a show diving into the cybersecurity threats that surround our highly connected lives. Human vulnerability is almost completely ignored in the security awareness space. But why is that? Every human is different. Every person has unique vulnerabilities that expose them to potentially successful social engineering. It's time to change the focus and bring it back to the human factor. On this show, we'll discuss human vulnerability and how it relates to unique individuals. Assessing the constantly evolving human risk is how we make our company safer and more secure. I'm Connor Swalm, CEO of FinSecurity, and welcome to Gone Fishing. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Gone Fishing. I am your host, Connor Swalm, CEO at FinSecurity, and I'm following on from the last episode I did which was when I talked about why human vulnerability management should matter to everyone, why it's applicable to all of us, not just me who likes talking about it a bunch. And uh, if you haven't seen that, I'd highly recommend you go take a look at that to give you a little bit of context to what we're going to talk about today. Because one of the concepts that I mentioned in the previous episode is, all right, great, this doesn't sound like an incredibly complex thing to do to you know teach people to recognize social engineering and prevent theft in their own lives and in their business. So what is the difficulty with actually building human vulnerability management programs and actually helping people understand what's going on? And I have a couple of things. Some of them touch on psychology. Some of them touch on human behavior. Some of them touch on the world we exist in. And well, changing the world is, you know, while the goal of many, it is incredibly hard. So that's why things are the way they are sometimes. So first thing I'd like to mention about why is this so difficult? Why is it really difficult to teach people? What's what's going on around them? Uh, probably most obvious is we, as people, are typically set in our ways. Uh, the saying, well, it's always been done this way, exists for a reason. Um, if, if people are used to doing certain things, if they're used to interacting with certain people in certain ways, then it's very likely that they'll continue to act that way and to interact in that way. So we, as a group, you know, at least here on the East Coast in, uh, in America, we are set in our ways. We don't like to change. Change is really hard uh, in a lot of ways. And so it's very difficult to convince somebody, hey, the way you're acting, the way you're talking, the way you're interacting with yourself and others and your community and your business and your coworkers, you know, insert any other group of people is creating risk. If you try to convince somebody that create uh, the, the way they're acting and, and the things that they're doing and the way they're saying it create the risk that somebody is able to socially engineer them out of their money access or information, they're typically, you know, kind of turned off to that whole concept. When I was in college studying math and I tried to talk to people about the math that I was studying because I really enjoyed it, the conversation was over before it got started. I may have enjoyed it. I may like it incredibly, but I recognize that almost nobody else did. And their mother, their brother, their uncle, their friend they haven't talked to in like nine years would be calling them from the next room. Conversation would be over before it started. And I see a very similar thing happening in not only security awareness, but cybersecurity in general. Is if our goal uh, as practitioners is to communicate in such a way that the average employee or, or average folks, uh, you know, in terms of cybersecurity expertise and, and um, desire to learn about cybersecurity, if we're talking to them in such a way that they don't want to talk back, we, we're at a loss. We're already starting off on the wrong foot. And 
for not helping people change themselves. So that's the first thing that I see a lot is we're creatures of habit. People don't like to change. It's hard to do so. Uh, the second thing that I see is specifically in my industry, which is uh, security awareness uh, training, like training concepts on cybersecurity. Compliance has driven a lot of this industry so far. And what I mean by that is teaching people to recognize social engineering, to recognize when they're transmitting and storing information improperly, to recognize when somebody else is stealing some company secrets or like insider threats has pretty much been largely driven by compliance frameworks like this 800171. There's now the convention of CMMC. And that's consistently changing. Cyber insurance is now getting in there as well and recommending also enforcing at the drawback of your policy getting canceled. If you don't do certain things, they'll cancel your policy. And so a lot of this industry teaching people to recognize things has been driven by frameworks that are very, very good at mandating compliance, but not 100% of the way there at creating incredible security. Now, like in the same way, I, I made this statement for the first time the other day in the same way that the law here is supposed to be an approximation for morality. Uh, compliance is an approximation of security. It's not quite the best thing for every organization, but it is a great thing to aim for and start at. It's a great starting point at the very least. And so when we're at a point where um, compliance has driven this, uh, compliance has to factor in all sorts of vulnerability that companies are exposed to, whether that's the total amount of risk that they actually have. You know, maybe they collect people's social security numbers. Maybe a business collects people's social security numbers or banking information, uh, as opposed to other people who might just have first and last names. You know, the value of social of social security numbers and banking information creates a a much larger risk for that organization than just a list of first and last names as a result of the value of that information in the open world where people are willing to buy things that have been stolen. Uh, and then also all sorts of other things that go way beyond humans and organizations, such as the way the technology that they're using uh, and how broadly spread out they are. Do they let people work from home? Do they have multiple office locations? Do they lock their doors at night? All of these are typically factored at like physical security stuff are all factored into compliance uh, in most ways is if you want to get a SOC 2 certification, that's a compliance, it's kind of like a compliance framework that you have, have to be adhering to. Um, but it's, it's our best approximation for security. And so what I mean by it's difficult building human vulnerability management is because this would be in a very specific subset, which is humans and the way humans interact with each other and other technology. Um, human vulnerability management focuses on just that one small piece. And that, that is a small piece of compliance overall. And so convincing, I guess, any governing body that, you know, we need to focus on this incredibly small subset of, of security issues is difficult. It's difficult at times. The, um, the third thing that I also talk about regularly, I'm actually giving several talks uh, coming up later uh, about this, is there is no like built out framework for properly identifying and then remediating vulnerabilities that humans demonstrate. So to give you an example of vulnerability a human is going to demonstrate is like, uh, you know, the most pedantic example that's relevant here. People clicking on phishing emails. 
So let's say there's somebody, your office manager is working and they get an email or a text message from the CEO saying, hey, I need you to go buy credit cards. And, you know, some of you may be laughing. It's like, oh, nobody would, nobody would fall for that. I promise you people do. It still happens. They're still vulnerable to that kind of thing. And even a lot of my employees are getting texts like that when they come on board. And so it's still something that is clearly resulting in actual people losing actual money. And I always bring this back to, you know, NIST has a framework for identifying and remediating vulnerabilities in technology and software. Uh, and it's you assess for threats, you validate that they exist, right? You don't just pretend that they exist, you validate they're there. You prioritize the ones you just validated existence. You remediate those prioritized threats, and then you verify the remediation occurred. So it's this five-step process of assess, validate, prioritize, remediate, and verify. That is a pretty well-defined structure for identifying and fixing vulnerabilities that exist in um, security tools or businesses in general. I would like to take that model, those five steps, and apply that to humans. And today, we maybe have half of the first step, half of assess, right? Whether that's through uh, onboarding employees by asking them security questionnaires or trying to fish them and teach them what phishing looks like. Like we have half of this assess step, but we don't then validate the individual risks that individual employees pose. We don't prioritize what we validated. And then as a result, we can't remediate nor verify remediation occurred. And so the difficulty in building human vulnerability management is we need to take a framework like the one I just identified where it's built out and, you know, applied on a daily basis by thousands and thousands of organizations to identify real vulnerability in, in businesses. We need to take that and transplant it into the way we assess and uh, remediate vulnerabilities that humans demonstrate, whether that's improperly setting a password or not being willing to turn on MFA or clicking on phishing emails or letting people walk through the front door who haven't quite badged in or uh, whatever it's tailgating, like holding the door open for somebody who's waiting outside. Like There are people that, um, who are skilled enough at social engineering that they plan for those kinds of things to happen, for those employees to think they're just being nice and to wait by a door with a box in their hands and say, hey, can you just hold that open for me real quick? But that represents a vulnerability in that person who left that door open because what they should have done is properly um, properly apply the organization's like physical access rules, which is everybody badges in or checks in with the front office or whatever it ends up being. Um, there are all these vulnerabilities. So those are just a couple of reasons as to why it's so difficult. At the end of the day, we're identifying behaviors in humans, us, that we would like to change. And uh, how hard is it for you to change your own behavior, let alone have somebody else change their behavior, right? But if you have kids or significant other, it's like changing other people's behavior is quite possibly one of the hardest endeavors anyone will ever start trying to do. And so I'm not saying any of this is going to be easy, but the biggest difficulty in actually creating human vulnerability management is people need to change their behavior. Like the only thing that actually reduces the risk of a human uh, involved breach, I don't know, whatever Verizon calls it these days, is actually if they change their behavior. And as a result, that risk no longer exists. So the only way to properly mitigate the risk is to remove the behavior and change it, which, as we just said, is incredibly difficult. So that is, you know, kind of the crux of the issue is getting people to change, you know, let alone myself or anyone listening is hard. Getting others to change is even harder. And so um, 
yeah, that's what I wanted to bring you all today. Um, so we talked about what well, the difficulty of human vulnerability management is today. Um, a, a talking track that I often get looped into is why should why should individuals care about this? Right? Isn't this a this is a business thing? And they got cyber insurance. They got all these fancy security tools and whatnot. Only businesses should care about this. So actually, on our next episode, what I'd really like to do is explain why should individuals care about this? Why should a average person maybe they work from home, maybe they work for themselves, or maybe they work at a large organization. What is your own behavior? What is your risk? What is the risk that you are introducing into your life, whether that's the risk of identity theft or the risk of money getting stolen or impersonation or anything like that, that you're introducing? And why should I, why should you care about changing some of your behaviors to reduce your personal risk? Uh, and I might have some, some things that are, that you haven't quite thought of before. So I'd highly recommend you, uh, you come check that out. But once again, I'm Connor. I am the CEO of FinSecurity, and I am your host on Gone Fishing. And I look forward to seeing all of you next time. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about creating high-quality security awareness training campaigns that engage employees and change their habits, then check out FinSecurity at phinsec.io or click the link in our show notes. Thanks for fishing with me. See you next time.